Oh, new intro music for us. Bob Wankel here on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast live on 610 ESPN Radio. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, joined as always by Bob Wankel. Uh, Phillies win today, Bob, over the Cincinnati Reds in Cincinnati, 7-1, to one, four home runs, uh, tallying all seven runs for the Phillies, uh, held the Reds' feeble lineup to just one run. Um, that's two wins in a row. They're back to six games over 500. We know what that means, and we'll get into that a little bit more here later on the program. But, Bob, uh, you know, it, it looked like it was a lost weekend at one point last night, and now within the span of 12 hours, I guess, or, you know, a little bit little bit more than that, 18 hours, it looks like the uh, Phillies have kind of once again, you know, got the, righted the ship a little bit. Yeah, I was down at the stadium on Saturday, and I felt like when they lost that game, uh, to, to solidify the fact that they would lose another series at home against a team that hadn't been playing well, the Mets had lost six straight games coming into that series, I said to myself, okay, here we are finally 134 games into the season. I waited, I waited, I waited. I tried to show patience. I tried to take the long view, and I said, they're done. This season's over. I just think at some point, you have to take advantage of those opportunities. And I know they they survived last night. They bounced back again today with another win. And this is sort of what they do. This has been the rhythm of their entire second half. I, I have to say, in the past, as maybe as recently as last week, this win probably would have had me feeling pretty optimistic. Like, okay, maybe they're finally turning the corner. I just don't feel that way after this game. And I hear you. And, and I guess the reason is, is that at some point, you know, like you said, we're 130 games through at this, you know, or a little bit more than that uh, at this point. And you sit there and say, you know, we've said all along, maybe this is the point. Maybe this is the point. Maybe this is when they turn it around. But at some point you have to sit there and say they, they haven't been able to do it up till now. What makes us think they're going to do it now, especially against some of the toughest teams in the league who are going to be on their schedule after this Cincinnati series for the rest of September. Yeah, and uh, that's kind of where I'm looking now. If we if we take today for what it is, Drew Smiley had a nice bounce back. He was miserable, plus 7 ERA in August. Um, you know, Opponents slugged over 700 against him in the month of August in 25 innings pitched. So for him to come out today and have a, a pretty good start, five and a third innings, four hits, you know, he was okay, three walks. He struggled with his command a little bit, but but held the Reds in check. Great job. But do, can you depend on Drew Smiley down the stretch to no. maintain that type of consistency? Can you depend on Zach Eflin, who's been really good now the last two starts, but do you really trust him for four or five more starts down the stretch? Can you take advantage of Aaron Nola's good starts down the stretch because you haven't the last two times right. he's been out? So. When I just look at the big picture, I go, okay, this feels like a team that's destined to maybe win 83, 84 games, and they're going to fall short, and and that's where I'm at right now. And you're probably right. And, and that, and you know, I, 83, 84 with this schedule might even be a little bit optimistic, to be honest with you. Um, it really kind of depends on where they catch teams and at what point. I mean, look, I, I consider they caught a little bit of a break today in the sense that the Reds are coming off back-to-back doubleheaders. Uh, you know, their best power hitter in the lineup, Eugenio Suarez, went out with a uh, – got hit on the left hand by a pitch last night. Um, they haven't given you uh, the actual diagnosis of that, but it looks like he might be done for the season. So they're not going to have him for the whole series. It looks like. Um, so, you, but you know, still, and the Phillies have a nice game. They, they hit Anthony Desclafani. Um, they hit four home runs. Uh, uh, you know, Har- uh, Harper hits his thirtieth. Uh, Hoskins hits two today. It looks like he's coming out of his slump. 
Um, and, you know, who was with the other one? Who am I? Oh, Scott Kingery. Kingery, King, Kingery hits he's the been other. Red hot he's been well. hot lately. So like you look at it and say, okay, well maybe some there's some good stuff with the offense. Drew Smiley probably bought himself another start this weekend against the Mets. Yeah, um, Gabe was asked about that yeah. prior to yesterday's game, and you know they said, is he pitching to stay in the rotation? And and he was pretty blunt about it. He goes, you know, uh, I understand why you asked the question, and I'm paraphrasing. I understand why you asked the question, but. When we look at our options right now, Drew probably still gives us our best chance to win, which lets you know where they're at and the complete lack of depth that they have. Right. So I don't know if he was pitching to stay in the rotation or not, but he certainly bought himself. He solidified the fact that he will at least get another opportunity yeah, after I, today. And, and to be fair, and while I, I don't think much of Drew Smiley, what are the other options? Like, really, what would it be? The only other option, I guess, would be – you bring Nick Pavetta back tomorrow and reinsert him into the line, into the rotation. But I don't think he's going to be a rotation guy. I think he's going to, when he comes back tomorrow, he's going to be in the bullpen. Yeah, I think at this point in the season, after what they've done with him yeah, he's uh, earlier in the year, I just there's no way that you can plug him in as a, a rotation option right. at this point. So there is no other real, real choice. I mean, who else are you going to start? Cole Irvin? Like I, you know, you can't. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think that there is another pitcher that you can that you can use. In place of Smiley, I mean, maybe in an emergency, sure, but not not to count on for four starts in September. And here we are on September second, and we're, we're talking about postseason baseball or the possibility of the Phillies playing postseason baseball. I, I think it's a very remote possibility. But so then I, I kind of take a step back and I go, what is the path? How do they do it? What's the formula? And you know, you're not going to get consistently good starting pitching. You saw what this bullpen. It, you, you see, like, Mike Morton, who had a really nice stretch for them, a 14-, 15-game stretch. And then over the weekend, he looked like a guy that was DFA'd by the Twins, uh, you know, two months ago. He's he's kind of lost it, it seems like, all of a sudden, because he just doesn't he's, – he's okay, you know? But you look at these options, and you go, so what's the path? And to me, it's got to be Reese Hoskins, Bryce Harper. It's got to be JT Romuto. It's got to be Scott Kingery. All of these guys have to catch fire together – Something that they have not done at any point this season. So now today was encouraging in the sense that you see three of those guys go deep. And, you know, and Real Muto had a, a day off. He started more games than any other catcher in baseball this season. So right. he, he needed a breather, especially after the, uh, you know, the game last night on national TV. That's what's got to happen. And so, you know, you look at Reese Hoskins and the, the, just the hellish August that he had. His last six games, though, now, 11 for his last 25, hitting 440, had the two homers today. And that six-game sample, two walks, five RBI, like maybe it's starting to come back a little bit. And if they can get him and, and those other guys going at the same time, maybe they can just bulldoze their way offensively through the month of September. I think that's a long shot, though. No, it's definitely a long But it's all that you – if you want to cling to hope, it's all you can cling to. Because you can't cling to anything on the mound – other than Aaron Nola, and even then we saw he lost his last two starts uh, against kind of you know inferior. Yeah, I mean he had the, the one nothing lead late uh, on Friday night, and I know the bullpen was what really cost them that game, but yeah. he didn't hold that lead, the one run that he was given, and he couldn't hold the lead in uh, Miami, Miami the right. previous Sunday. So yeah, yeah I mean I, there's no sure thing right now with this team, and that's the problem. You can't say hey tomorrow this is going to happen. Like, there's just nothing that you can truly rely on that's consistently good enough with, with, with this team right now. And it really has been like that for almost 140 games. Yeah, and, and but that's, you know, that's the roller coaster ride that they keep taking us on. And we're going to sit here, you know, Bob, tomorrow will be, what, the 
eleventh uh, time that they have a chance to. Yeah, so <laughs> this is just like it's almost be kind of this it's, is it's, this is your calling become, card now. Yeah, yeah, I just do it to annoy people at this point. Uh, they when they are six games over five hundred, they've lost eleven straight games. Oh, and eleven. It's it's been. It's remarkable. So dating back to June 19th, the last time they were over seven games over 500 was Father's Day. They got blown out by the Braves, and they haven't been able to get back since. So, uh, you know, maybe tomorrow's finally the day. They've been big favorites. They've had Aaron Nola on the mound. They've played inferior opponents, and they just can't seem to get over this hump. But they, they have to do it eventually. And, and if, if well, they want to get to where they're, they want to go, you know. I, look, this one's got, this one's got to be – it's got to be it, doesn't it? I mean, this Reds team is just playing out the string. I, we said it before. I mean, they had an opportunity to do against the Marlins, and then the Marlins were one of the teams that stopped them. But, but what what do the Reds have to play for right now? Like, not next to nothing. And you look at that lineup. There's nothing in that lineup that that really scares you. You know, I get they had a nice little they had a nice rookie with Nick Senzel, right? I mean, nice little player. Votto is a shell of him, a form, oh former self. It's right? amazing watching him hit. He's you know, not he just. He doesn't have it. He anymore. stands up there and just pokes the ball around. He, he can't yeah. drive the ball at all. He almost looks a little disinterested. I, it's it's really strange watching him hit. Yes. Yeah. For for so many years, he was arguably the league's best hitter. You know, right. in terms of just pure pure ability to hit. Yeah, and then you know Suarez, like I had mentioned earlier, he's out. I guess the only guy that that's of interest really is that. Uh, a Kino kid who's got all the home runs hit another one today. Yeah, he, he hit a bomb today <laughs> in the second inning. Yeah, I believe that was. Uh, but other than that, I mean, there's nothing in that lineup. You gotta think. Oh, you, you gotta think. But then you turn around and you go, well, all right, who's starting for the Phillies? Oh, it's, it's Vince, Vince Velasquez. Velasquez. <laughs> and so flip a coin. Like, do I think that Vince Velasquez will probably give you the five innings, two, three runs? Yeah. Probably, but you never know what you're gonna get with Vince. And then on the flip side of it, I think they're going up against Alex Wood who's been very mediocre for the Reds so far. Uh, he's coming off a six-inning, three-run performance uh, in his last start, but that was against the Marlins. Yes. So I, I don't know what you take out of that. <laughs> so, yeah, it sets up. Phillies probably will be favored in this game, probably should win the game, should being the operative word. And how many times this season have they lost games that they should win against teams that they should beat? So, And I'm sure you'll have some kind of uh, betting breakdown on broadlines yeah, for that, right? We will, tomorrow? Uh, we will jump into that tomorrow morning. Now, you know, the, the thing that I look at ultimately, if we're talking about this being a potential playoff push down the, the stretch here the last four weeks of the month, uh, I just can't get over the schedule. I, I just can't get beyond the schedule. This is a team that's played four games, even including today's win, four games under 500 on the road this season, and they are going to spend essentially, I believe it's actually 17 of their final 26 games on the road this season, uh, five at Washington, they're at, at Atlanta, they have to go to Cleveland. I just, It's just really hard to look at the path ahead and say, Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're going to play three games better than the Cubs. Uh, and I, I just don't see it. And the Cubs today were down one nothing in the seventh and they popped off for five runs uh, against the Mariners. So it, it looks like the Phillies will stay two and a half games back uh, after play today. And we talked about, you know, we, talk, we talked about this. I think it was two weeks ago where we talked about how hard it is to overcome a two game deficit. Like you say, oh, it's just two games. Oh, it's just two and a half games. That's really hard to overcome because of, you know, the way matchups work and who's playing who when and whatever, and teams are constantly, you know, moving around. But you really need an extended period of time to make up those two and a half games. And that's not to say that they, it can't be done in 27 games that the Phillies have left. 
Um, but it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. And you you compound that with the opposition that the Phillies are going to have. And I think that's why both you and I say, yeah, man, this is a long shot. If the Phillies make the playoffs in this situation, bring bring everybody yeah, back. Yeah, it's definitely. Bring a, everybody back next uphill, year. Yeah, bring them all back. I'm and saying it now. It's definitely an uphill battle as it is, and that's without even looking in the rearview mirror, which if, if you do that, then you see Milwaukee's right there. The Mets obviously are still very much in play in this Arizona. Situation. Where'd yeah, they come Arizona from? sort of gotten themselves back into it. Almost There's, swept the Dodgers. Yep, six and four in their last ten games. So, and again, a plus sixty-eight run differential with them. So that's a team that's probably underperforming right now. That maybe the law of averages is starting to kind of catch up where they're going to go on their runs. So you factor all that together, and it's just very hard to be positive about it. Is good of a. It was a good win today by the Phillies, and especially when you consider that they got to, to Cincinnati last night at like 2.30 in the morning. Yep. You know, quick turnaround, 2 o'clock start, 1 o'clock local time uh, in, in Ohio, and, and I don't know. I mean, I, to me, it's, it's it was an impressive win, but. Yeah, I know. It, it's it's almost like, like, you know, if they would have just won one of those two games that they lost to the Mets, are you probably a little bit more excited yeah, today I, probably uh, i think maybe would if one, they, would if they one game make that difference friday night i think the way that the game friday night played out it, it just was it was very deflating and then the mets fans coming into citizens bank park on saturday and just taking over that stadium as i said like if you're and i i wonder when and you step back and you kind of evaluate the season whether the phillies win 82 games or 86 games or in the playoffs or not it, it, it's got to be if John Middleton was present on Saturday, I just I wonder what he was thinking as he took that game in. Where right. he's like, we just lost a series to the New York Mets at home. It was a pivotal series. It meant a lot. And the stadium was completely flooded by Mets fans and, and what I would describe as apathetic Phillies fans. Yes. They, they were booing, but it was just kind of like, oh, we'll boo you because you came in here and you're Mets fans. Like It, just, it felt half-hearted. Like, I don't even feel like the Phillies fans were that fired up or, or even really felt that disrespected. It just seemed like, yeah, yeah, all right, I got, I got you. We could talk about what, what has brought on that apathy. Um, but I think you're right. I think that the fans in this city know. I don't think that there's very many people out there. You know, Twitter's a cesspool, right? I mean, so you can... You can you can go on there and find extreme opinions on all sides. I'm glad you brought up Twitter because I spend a lot of time <laughs> on it, and, and that's part of the job. I think that Twitter m- might be crowding or like clouding my my view of Phillies fans, yeah, or or like the way that people feel about everything in life. It just it seems so negative all the time, and and I think it's part of the reason why like if we get to the end of the year and they part ways with Gabe Kapler, which I don't think they're going to do, by the way, and we could talk about this in the next segment for sure. Uh, But if they do it, I would tell you, okay, like, I understand it. It's a business. People aren't completely invested in this product. There's a good portion of this fan base that probably isn't solely blaming Gabe for how this season's played out, but I think that the majority of the fan base would like to go in a different direction. But what I see on Twitter is just everything is about the manager it's every loss everything that goes wrong it always gets laid at his feet and that's where i start to go this is crazy and i think it's kind of made me dig in in a certain way that that i'm almost to the other extreme now like constantly fighting back and almost seeming like i'm always defending the manager when he shouldn't always be defended but i just think it's 
you and I have done this both publicly and off the record, by the way. Yeah, let me let me say this, and I'm gonna make a, a comparison um, because I just went through this with the Flyers. Okay, the Flyers fired Dave Haxtall back in, uh, in last season, um, pri- and what I will say is primarily because of public pressure, and I hate to say it that way because you never want to think that the public can dictate who's the coach, who the players are, whatever whatever the case might be. But the Flyers had put themselves, in, a, in similarly to the Phillies, had put themselves in a situation where they hadn't won for so long. They'd been mediocre at best, bad at times, like the Phillies have been. Um, didn't really, They didn't really go through a rebuild like the Phillies, but they kind of were like, okay, we're going to get there now. We're in year four of this GM-coach combination. At some point, something's got to change, and it was still kind of stagnant and it just got so overwhelming that the fans were stopping to come into games attendance was down there there was no buzz about the team lacked interest and first they fired the gm and kept the coach and then after a while they just realized you know what the fans are still not coming we got it we got to make it they don't they want the coach gone they've been screaming to fire the coach and they fired the coach and now they're hoping that bringing a new coach in with a track record will bring people back into the arena. They didn't make that many changes. Like the Phillies made big changes in the offseason. The Flyers didn't make that many changes. They brought in three new players, okay? So they didn't make huge changes, no superstars. They were all kind of, you know, secondary talented players. Um, But their big offseason move was bringing in a coach with a track record. So my thought process that that I want to bring up to you is, is this. Do the Phillies feel, you know, not the Phillies general manager and Matt Klentak, but does John Middleton kind of see the same thing starting to happen with his team and maybe sit there and say, man, we maybe I have to do the same thing. Whether it's deserved or not, does he feel like he has to do that? And I think that's the question that, that has to be answered more than anything else. Yeah, I have no issue with that. I mean, when you look at it from a business standpoint and what's going to draw the customer in, fine. When we get to a baseball standpoint, though, that's where I start to question it. Again, I just look at this, and you can make excuses for any team that struggles. You could you can explain away pretty much any bad team, injuries, bad luck, whatever the case may be. But I just I can't get over the fact that if they let's just say this this is what I think is going to happen. So let's roll with this hypothetical. They win 83, 84 games, miss the postseason by three, four games. So now Gabe Kapler in two seasons is essentially 500, maybe a game or two over, no postseason appearances. They lost six relievers from their opening day roster through injuries. You look at this rotation that he's been given. I mean, they're trotting out Drew Smiley, Vince Velasquez, Zach Eflin. This is not a, a playoff caliber rotation. The offensive struggles, I think that there's something to that. I think that the the organizational hitting philosophy, Gabe included, I think that they're going to have to take a long look at that if he's, you know, these same coaches and the same philosophy is in place moving forward. I think they're going to have to tweak that and consider what went wrong offensively because this should have never happened. But when you look at the overall big picture, I just don't understand how a a managerial change would would have gotten this team over the hump. Like, I don't think Gabe Kapler was the difference between 84 and, and 90 wins with this this group of guys. In fact, I think you could make an argument that if they do win 84 games, that's 
outplaying what they have in that clubhouse. I think you're nuts, and I'll tell you why after the break. If you want to give us a call, 888-728-9941. That's 888-728-9941. You are listening to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast live here on 610 ESPN Radio. Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the Y? Or so you think. Sure, you know the Y for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the Y. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that. So while you might think of the Y as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. Introducing the Y. We're so much more than a place. We're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more. And we're back here on Crossed Up, the Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Anthony Sanfilippo, Bob Wankel with you till 6 p.m. tonight, 888-728-9941 if you want to give us a call, talking all things Phillies. Before the break, Bob told us that the Phillies, uh, if they finish with 83 or 84 wins, will outperform the talent on this roster. Do, Do you really believe... I'm going to ask you this, Bob. Do you really believe that the roster that they had that they have is a team that should be sub 500 and not even be in the conversation for a playoff? Do you firmly believe that? I believe that the pitching. I, I, yeah, actually, I think the Phillies could be the Colorado Rockies. Honestly. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I'm going to. Say, and one of the arguments that you made is you said that this Phillies team, because oh, the injuries in the bullpen. They lost six of the eight guys that they had in the bullpen at the start of the season. And while I look at it and say, okay, David Robertson was a guy they brought in who was going to be, you know, with his track record, was really going to be a back-end guy, was probably going to be the closer, okay? Uh, and Naris was probably going to be used in more of a setup role, um, although it wasn't quite that at the very beginning of the season. But I think ultimately that was the plan um, with that. And, and losing David Robertson I think is a, I think is a fair Say, you know what, we thought we were going to have this this hammer at the back of our bullpen, and we lost him for the year. I think that's fine. As far as the other five guys that we're talking about in that bullpen that they lost because of injuries, and oh my God, this is such a horrible thing to overcome, I think that is so darn overblown. So darn overblown. Let's take them one at a time, okay? Sir Anthony Dominguez, because this one to me is the most... This one to me is the most egregious one of, out, out there. He was going to be a setup guy for them this year, right? Right? Was, is he a guy that was really going to be used in a in a you know high le- a lot of high leverage situations? Fair? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. His last 24 appearances last year, he had a 4.88 ERA with a 1.33 WHIP. His 27 appearances this year, 4.01 ERA with a 1.46 WHIP. That's a combined 48 and two thirds, 4.43 ERA, 1.40 WHIP. There is, and that's what that was before he got hurt. Okay, there, so yes, at the beginning of last season when he first came up and he was like sensational, we're like, this is fantastic. Oh my God, we had this guy in the system all along. 
And then he kind of tailed off. And okay, we talked so, so about it. We, yeah, so, yeah. So, I'm going to let you respond okay. to each one individually. Um, but then he tailed off. And we talked about that last yeah. year, right? So he tailed off and didn't really show us anything at the beginning of the year to make us think that he was any different than what he was in the second half. So my counter to that would be, okay, so Sir Anthony Dominguez isn't that good. And so losing him isn't that important. If that's the that – Okay. seems to be your thesis, That's right? number one. So okay. is, that, is that Gabe Kapler's fault? No, no, no. Again, like that's the, – the bullpen was built then with – that in mind. Look, okay. let me. I'll get this out front. I'll put this out up front with you, Bob. I'm of the. I don't just blame the manager. I blame the manager for certain in-game decisions. I blame the general manager more than I blame the manager. Oh, to, good. Well, then uh, we're on the same page. Because it's it's Matt Klintak is is and and even worse than Matt Klintak is the president Andy McPhail. If we make it, we do. If we do, if we don't, we don't. You know, I mean that guy drives me even crazier than anybody. So yo, know, I, I well, you got to remember he did win a World Series 28 <laughs> years ago, so it's you know got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I know. Those, no, those no, they all. They, to me, this is a clean house situation. Okay, that's where that's where I'm at. I'm gonna go through. I'm gonna keep going through the bullpen though, because this is the this is the narrative that a lot of people, and I think including you, are are presenting. Uh, as to well, what, what is the manager supposed to do? This is what this is the hand he's been dealt. Let's look at some of the other pitchers that that they lost this year. Tommy Hunter, is Tommy Hunter kind of does he excite you at all? Is he much better than what they currently have in the bullpen now? I mean, his whip last year was one two five. It's okay. He's a seven point two strikeouts per nine. It's eh, it's okay. It's just okay, though. Like, is he a guy that you want thrown out there in big-time situations? Yeah, I mean, wouldn't you like to have allocated that money in a, a different fashion? Yes. With a reliever that possibly could have given <laughs> yes. more production than Tommy Hunter? Yeah, but, I mean, the problem is, for me, yeah, is, is Tommy Hunter an all-star relief pitcher? No. But then when you replace him with Mike Morin or you replace him with Blake Parker or Jared Hughes, and Jared Hughes had a nice game today, and yeah. he had a nice five-year run before he was here. And and I think they're all the same guy. They're guys, though, they're all the right. same guy. They're all, that's what I'm trying. But to, how do you manage? So so, so what I'm what I'm trying to say to you right now, you're just interchanging mediocrity. Yes, you could go with any of these names: Edubre Ramos, Victor Arano, Pat Neshek. They're all kind of the same guy. Neshek, you can never pitch the same you know, two days in a row. He used to have to have like a week off between. Between appearances. I mean, to me, they're all kind of in that same bucket of mediocre at best relievers. And so, yes, the, so I, if we went back, I wish we could, I wish I had audio. I mean, it's out there. It exists. I, I should have cut it and brought it and given it to, to Ryan to play at the beginning of the segment. But we had a show at the beginning of the season where we talked about our predictions. And we were very similar. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think I even predicted more wins than you. <laughs> As, to be fair, I think I said 87 and you said 85. because you're a positive person okay. by nature. <laughs> I think I even had more wins than you did. Um, but at the very beginning of the season, I kept saying this bullpen is not good. And so to hear the argument now that, oh, well, you know, he lost six relievers. I mean, geez, what's he supposed to do? It would have been this way no matter who was in that bullpen. Okay. And that's, and and that's fine. But then it's not just like it's an independent variable. There's, there's an equation here and it's a mediocre and injured bullpen paired with the fact. And if you want to run through guys individually, let's do that. Vince Velasquez wasn't good enough to stick in this rotation. Nope. He was bumped to the bullpen. Zach Eflin was bumped to the bullpen yep. at one point, brought back. Nick Pavetta's been in the minor leagues two different stints this season, yep. was also bumped out of the rotation. Their number two pitcher, if you want to call him that, 
pitched half the season with bone spurs in his right elbow and then also is now out for the year. And then, by the way, he was replaced with Drew Smiley, who was a DFA, and then Jason Vargas, who couldn't break a window from 30 feet away <laughs> if he tried. So, like, that's your starting rotation, and if that's going to be your rotation, you better have paired it with a lights-out bullpen, which they have not. And so when you look at, at every game that's not started by Aaron Nola, you just don't know what you're going to get at all. And I think it's pretty – I know they went out and spent a ton of money offensively in JT Realmuto and, and Bryce Harper, and they were just going to mash their way through the NL. I, I get that. I understand that was the plan. This was never a team that was really built, built on pitching. But, like, when that is what's at your disposal as a manager and you win 83, 84 games, if that's what they do – I just – I can't kill the guy for that. And and by the way, and this is the one thing that I think irritates me more than anything. I understand that in-game strategy, there are things – there were things he did last year where we were on our show. Killed him. Just go, what in God's name is happening right now? Yeah. So I think he's gotten better. He has he has gotten better. I will give him that. But, but what, I, what drives me absolutely crazy is when people say like – well, oh, the team's quit on him, or this team doesn't play for this guy. Like, I don't believe that because they lose on Friday and Saturday, and then they, they come back and they have what I would call, and maybe this is a little bit of hyperbole, but a season-saving win last night, and then they have a, a flight, no sleep, and they come back and they win today. Like, That's not a sign of a team that's quitting. What we saw at the end of last season was an inexperienced team that stunk and quit. Yes. We have not seen that. We have not so seen quit. So I think it's completely unfair to say that these guys don't play for him. No, we have not seen quit yet. I mean, it's still potential. There's still potential for that because if things go awry over the next 10 to 14 days and they kind of fall out of it and we see that last three weeks of the season could very well be oh, the hell with this. Yeah, and listen, dude, if they win 75 games, <laughs> yeah. then like I think maybe we have to have a conversation. Yeah. And I'm willing to re uh, reevaluate right. my stance. Right. I'm adaptable here. But right. I just think based on what we've seen up until this point, uh, when people say, oh, they don't respect him, they don't play for him, they, he doesn't yeah, I, get it. I don't, I, necessarily, I, I don't necessarily agree with that argument. I, I don't. I don't think that they, there's a team that's not playing for him. I mean, I think that there are times where, where there are <laughs> – the JT Romuto eye roll. <laughs> I would love to know. I, th- I, know. I think that's related to what was being said, yeah, he as said opposed it was just to who was coming timing in. And that it was it was about <laughs> that he was upset they had just given up the lead, and that's entirely possible. But man, that was that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but like, no, I think that there are things that that Gabe says or does that are eye roll worthy. That doesn't mean you should just fire the guy because of that. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I'd like to I want to get into and I know that you're going to have a a fair uh, bounce back to it, but I'd like to get into what happened on Sunday night with the the situation, okay, where you have Adam Hazley at the plate to lead off the the seventh inning, okay, um, as the Phillies are uh, up a run and they're trying to add an insurance run and he leads off with a with a double. Now, before he gets the double, though, Jay Bruce is already in the on deck circle to pinch hit for Zach Eflin, who has pitched a good game. This would be a second good game in a row um, since he's you know, had that meeting with Chris Young, the pitching coach, and, and talked about going back to throwing more sinker balls, et cetera, et cetera, you know, throwing the pitches that he wants to throw as opposed to the, the game plan that they had for him before. So Eflin now, two games in a row, has given you that. He had thrown 84 pitches, which is a low number for a starting pitcher, especially a starting pitcher who has thrown as well as he had thrown. They'd only given up four hits. The, the one run was a home run, the second batter of the game. And then after that, I think it was three singles that he gave up. Um, so he really pitched a good game. So he had already made his made up his mind that he was coming out no matter what. Well, then Hazley hits the double, okay? 
in that situation, I, it's ripe for, you know what, our bullpen stinks. The Mets have really struggled to figure out Zach Eflin at this point. Can we try him for another inning? See what happens. Look, if he comes out and gives, gives up a base runner, we have Mike Morin ready to come into the game, whatever the case might be. But the situation set itself up where you say, you know what, I can save Jay Bruce here. I can put Zach Eflin back up and have him bunt. Now, fair to be fair, Zach Eflin tried to bunt earlier in the, de- in the game and was terrible. It was rough. It was yes. a bad bunting effort, okay? It was a rough to effort. To be fair. But, but, I mean, Jay Bruce, are you – Using Jay Bruce to come up and hit a weak ground ball to first base to move the runner to third, is that why you're using Jay Bruce? I mean, you could have picked anybody off the bench to come up and try and advance the runner with that. You know, so, I mean, like the thought process that you're bringing in Jay Bruce in that spot has to be that we think he's going to get a, a hit, okay? The Mets counter by going to a lefty reliever which is not the greatest for Bruce, although he's not terrible against left-handed pitching. But it, Any other consideration that you have to make here is this is his first game back. First game back, IL, right. Too. I mean, okay. so at this point, you just don't. Right, so Bruce gets him to third. The next two hitters, Corey Dickerson, weak ground out the first, and JT Real Muto flies out the center. The run does not score. Now you bring in Mike Morin, who, as you mentioned earlier, is is just a guy. He's not very good. And the Mets find a way between him and Hector Neris to get to tie the game up on a, you know the Neris wild pitch. All because of something that was made more complicated than it really needed to be. So what is the, the correct thing here? That Eflin should have just simply stayed in the game? Uh, look, again, it, what's the correct thing to do? You never know. Phillies won the game. Okay, Scott Kingery bails everybody out with the bases loaded double. So the correct thing, obviously, is they won. Okay, so no matter what, no matter what you want to. So do I think Scott Kingery saved his managers behind on that spot? I do personally. Do I think it would have worked out better if Zach Eflin stays in the game, bunts and pitches the the next inning? I, I think it will. But you don't know. I could be wrong. It yeah, could have and, gone the and, other way. And so when I looked at this, my initial reaction was, man, like they're they're yanking him after after 84 pitches. He's mowing through this lineup right now. What are they doing? So I pull out the phone and I I look it up and I go, okay, like well, how how stretched out is he? I mean, he's he's been back in the rotation now, yeah. so he, he should be reasonably stretched out. And I go back and I see that he hadn't thrown more than 79 pitches in any single start since July 15th. So we're going back now, basically 45 days. Guy hasn't eclipsed 80 pitches. So I take that into consideration, and then just and if you watch these games, you hear him post game live. I stood in front of him and and heard him talk about feeling heavy and and tired, and that being a, an issue specifically with him throughout the course of the season. And I thought to myself, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if he went into the dugout after this inning and said, I, "I'm good. I'm done. Like I think that's all I have." So after the game, he was asked, you know, what did you think about coming out after the seventh inning? And he had said that uh, he had been nursing some oblique tightness, and that started creeping up on me kind of in the fifth, sixth, and seventh. So I respected the decision that Cap made. Now, he put it on Kapler, and I'm not sure if he was more – I mean, this is a guy that begged out of an extra inning game that forced his center fielder to pitch in the 15th inning a couple weeks ago. So I'm just saying with this particular pitcher, I think you have to take into account what he's done this series, or this season and what he said this season. That's all. I, and I think that that's a fair argument. And, and literally, though, Bob, I think that's the only argument. 
I mean, really. I mean, I, yeah, because otherwise, I mean, are you itching to get Mike Morin in the game? Right. Pro- probably not. Right. No. And so and like, I get that. And I even said it. I, I tweeted it out. This Don't not, think that Mike Morin was the right choice. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. Like, I understand that. Yeah. But I just I look at the specific player, what he's done recently, what his his mentality has been at, like earlier in the year. And I just thought I'm pretty sure I have a feel for what might have happened. Here. I, I wonder, though, I wonder that if they lose the game, if Zach Eflin says the same thing. Yeah, I, I don't and, know. and we'll never know. We will never know. But I, I, that's something that, you know, I, call it call it just intuition that I think that there's that he probably doesn't react as well if the team loses. They win the game, it's like, oh, okay, well, all right, we won the game. I pitched a good game, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ruffle any feathers by saying anything that's wrong. But if they lose the game. And he's sitting there, I bet you he sits there and says, you know, well, yeah, I would love to have thrown one more inning. Uh, you know, gee, it would have been nice to go out there one more time. I think that that, that could have been the angle that it went, and I, everybody's story would have been completely different than what it was. So everybody can thank Scott Scott Kingery for sa- saving, saving the, the aggravation for, for, night. for that yeah. night. Uh, one quick question before we get to our, our next break here for you. Yeah. Uh, you talked a little bit earlier about the Flyers and some of the changes that they had to make within the organization to kind of regenerate that fan interest. I'm curious to know, what's more likely to – and this isn't a loaded question. I'm not setting you up here. This is genuine. Fair. What, what's more likely to, to captivate this fan base? Retaining Gabe Kapler and going out and, and supporting Aaron Nola with a – functional pitching staff you know in the two three and four spots or getting a a different manager like what's going to generate that excitement more of like the Phillies go out and and go like they they, let's just say they bring back a similar rotation even if they just change the names but we're still talking about middle of the road guys you don't really know what you're going to get from them but uh they go out and they hire baseball lifer Mike Sosha who does it the old school way it's from Delco yeah Springfield yeah I mean, is it? My thing is, is you could hire, I don't know, uh, you could hire Charlie Manuel. Yeah. Kind of did. And it wouldn't matter. Because you saw, at the end of the day, the product is going to be the product. You're right, but you saw what kind of excitement that brought. It did. And, right. And it lasted all of one week. Well, but you're asking the, you're asking the question. Right. And, I, and, and like we said, when it happened, like we said, the offense has been pretty good since Charlie took over as hitting coach. And it's been who, markedly better. And who's getting the credit? Not Gabe. Not Gabe. That. Yeah. It's all Gabe's in a no-win situation there. And, he, and he's not. And we, we talked about that. We were saying it in a way you're kind of you're sort of cutting his legs out from underneath him when you do this. Right. I, I agree with that. And that's one thing that I kind of considered to be a red flag in terms of, wow, are they going to retain him beyond this year? Right. I, I since have sort of revised that position. I do think they are going to do that. I think they're going to bring him back. But I just look at this thing and I go, ultimately, and, and he said it numerous times himself, if they win, that's what's going to get people invested. That's what's going to get people excited. If they don't, then this is the situation. I just, when I, I look at this, I step back, I go, the guy should get a crack at 2020, and we'll see, with a, a, a pretty short hook. I, and I think that that's the way that the Phillies, if I had a guess, that's what I think the Phillies are going to do. But here's here's what I have to say on that. And you're not you're, you're probably not wrong. You're probably right. But if they miss the playoffs this year, does John Middleton get so mad that he makes a change upstairs 
just goes like nuclear and blows well, the let's whole just thing say, up. Well, I mean, he could. When you he, say upstairs, you mean Andy McPhail? So he could, he could, he could go, he could blow the whole thing up, or he could replace the president, or he could replace the president and GM, or he could replace both, or he could replace all three. But if if he does, let's just say he he makes a change higher up the food chain than the manager. Doesn't the new person that comes in is they are they going to want to keep the manager? I mean, and that's not a knock on the manager. That could just be, hey, if I'm a GM of a team, I want my guys. No, I, I want my I people. typically advocate for if a GM comes in, he should get his guy. Yeah. I, I I do agree with that. Right. I just don't expect them to make that regime change. I guess, but we'll see. I I I, I just don't. I don't either. But I could I could. I'm not as convinced that that part doesn't happen. As I once was. I just think that you can sell this like we're heading in the right direction. I know we weren't quite where we wanted to be, but we're trending upward. Just give us one more shot at it. Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen here. Maybe. Maybe. I'd like to talk – speaking about heading in the right direction, I'd like to talk about um, Matt Klintak's comments about where this team is headed for next year, uh, which I thought was kind of an oddly timed interview. And I'm not sure if that was – Media and do maybe you know better than I do. I'm not sure if it was induced by the media or if it's something no, that Clintac uh, just decided to start talking about. I was not down there that much this week. And I so. was and I was like, I just thought it was strange. Like, why are we talking about next year now? Like, what's what's the goal? What's the what's the good part of this? Maybe kind of just setting people up for, hey, have you seen our schedule in September? <laughs> you know, let's get out. Well, that's, what, this, I wanted, you know? that's like, what I want. That's what I want to say. I do. That's what I, mean, I, I think there might be something to the timing of it. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of well, like just letting the people know, like, don't expect too much here this month. Let's talk about that after the break. You're listening to Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. At any given moment, somewhere in America, a baby is taking a first step a developmental milestone. But for too many parents, a baby's first steps aren't just a milestone, they're a miracle. These are the parents of babies who were born prematurely or with birth defects. It's a crisis affecting more than half a million babies in the United States each year. You can help them by joining volunteers like you who walk in March for Babies. The money you raise funds research and local programs that help babies overcome the challenges of premature birth and birth defects. Together, our steps make stronger, healthier babies a reality for thousands of families. Sign up today at marchforbabies.org to take the steps that help make milestones and even miracles possible. Who will you march for? All right, I've gone through all the tracks, just move through the beats, do your thing. All right, everyone, let's hear it for West High's own Brooke Turner, a.k.a. DJ Hook. Scratching at my first school dance takes confidence. So we're getting into college. I've got what it takes. Okay, I went through the practice sessions, I slept good, I feel good. We will now begin the test. Please take out your pencils. I got this. We're all good at something. Maybe it's breakdancing or skateboarding or video games. Whatever you're good at, you have the skills to make it happen. And those same skills will help us get to college. Visit knowhowtogo.org to learn what you should be doing right now to prepare for college. Start taking the steps at knowhowtogo.org. I've got what it takes. So do you. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Illumina Foundation, and the Ad Council. 
And we are back here on Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast here on 610 ESPN Radio. Anthony Sanfilippo, Bob Wankel with you till 6 p.m. And Bob has some breaking news. Oh, yeah, breaking news. Breaking news for the Phillies Red Series. Hold hold on to your seats, everyone. <laughs> this changes everything. Uh, <laughs> so Alex will, will not start tomorrow night's game against the Phillies. What? what? No, he has a, a back issue, so he's going to be scratched, miss a start, and the Phillies will instead face Lucas Sims, right-hander, Ooh. 25 years old. Uh, he's in his third season, career 5.71 ERA. He's only made two starts for uh, Cincinnati in 2019. So uh, yeah, he's mostly just been used out of the pen for them this year. Although he's been good out of the pen. Eh, he's, he has he's been, been good out of the pen. If you if you look at his if you look at his splits and look at his relief, I'm going to pull it up here real quick. I as I because I, I remember uh, looking at this actually for a fantasy thing. <laughs> If you must know, Lucas Sims was on your fantasy uh, radar. No, he was. Well, he was. So it, it just, it, I play with. You know what? I play Stratomatic baseball with uh, Do you? a couple of local uh, media types okay. are involved in this as well. Um, and uh, and I was just, we were talking about Lucas Sims not that long ago as a potential like throw in in a trade, and I had gone back and looked and saw that he was actually pitching well out of the bullpen and now I want to pull it up again here where's as a star where's as a starter uh pitching role. here we go as reliever uh he's pitched uh to a 386 ERA uh, is that what yeah, it is 386 182 batting average against 299 on base against uh here it is oh there it is that's the next roll down yeah 18 and two thirds innings uh only giving up 12 hits 10 walks a little wild but the whips 1.17. It's not terrible. They're gonna crush them. They're going to seven <laughs> games over 500, baby. They've arrived. Yeah, they didn't prepare for Lucas Sims. Yeah. All of a sudden, all the scouting reports are gonna yeah. be like, whoa, 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 what? What are we doing they'll now? They'll be fine. They'll, they'll uh, be fine. So anyway, <laughs> back to what we were saying before the break. It just seemed weird that yesterday of all days, they're gonna go on. Na- the Phillies are going on national television, right? And uh, so. This is the day you got all this, you know, got ESPN in town and everything else. And this is a day that the general manager decides to talk about what next year is going to look like. And I just thought it's a weird timing to sit there and say, let's talk about what we're going to be doing in the offseason. And do do you think before you get into this, just this could be media generated. do, Do you think that John Middleton would say to him? don't talk about next year like we don't know like, i don't think he's that metal how does that how does that work though like just from your own experience would you say because like to me i would say listen you're not going to talk about next year because we don't know if you're going to be part of next year if if that were the case this just leads me to believe that it's like yeah let's get out in front of what could be a, a, a difficult september could be and uh you know let's let's kind of get a a positive message out there and and show support and belief and that we're all one moving forward and and let's do that, and you can be the guy that does it because you will be back. I'm not, I'm not convinced 100% that Middleton has told them it's playoffs or else, you guys. But I'm also not convinced that he's guaranteed them that they have a job next year. So I think that these guys, basically, whenever they go into interviews, they just, they're just they going to say, well, until I'm told otherwise, this is my job and this is what I'm going to do. That's that's my take on it. I don't think he's I don't think he's thrown down you know the hammer and said, this is it. Either you make the playoffs or you're looking for work. I don't think he's done that. As much as as much as people would have liked him to have done that, I don't think he did. But I also don't think he said, 
don't worry about it. Whatever happens, you guys are definitely back. I don't think that happened either. I don't think he's got that blasé attitude like like uh, Andy McPhail has. Okay, so I, I I just think it's kind of like you know we need to get our stuff together and fix this and you know try and make the playoffs this year. But I don't think he put any kind of uh you know ultimatum right out on okay. It. Um, but anyway, so Clentac is is interviewed and. It's not that his quotes were anything incendiary or anything that was like, oh, man, why did he say that? It just seemed that it was weird. And, you know, when he says something like this, this is his exact quote. We've talked for years about opening a window that extends for a longer period of time, not just a spike for a single year and then restart or rebuild. That's never been the goal. The goal has been to be competitive for a long stretch. And that's fair. I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong inherently with what he said. But the timing of saying that while you are struggling to make a playoff spot to sit there and basically say, well, you know, know, we didn't say we wanted this to be a one year thing. We want it to be longer. That's the hedge that you were just saying before the break. It's like, well, maybe maybe, we might not make this playoff thing. 19 road games. We got got five in Washington. (laughs) Hang with us, guys, because next year will be okay. I'm not sure that that's going to ring ring you know really strongly with this or with this fan base my question about matt clentak is and i give him some credit for how the harper thing played out obviously bryce harper in the long run and scott boris dictated the terms of of where he was going and the money and, and all of that but that was a complicated negotiation and i know that john middleton was part of that negotiation as well but i do think that matt clentak played some type of of role in it and i am very much in favor here we are now in into september I love the deal. I supported the deal when it happened. I still think it's a really good deal. Um, so I, I will give him some credit for that. And I'll give him credit for, for obtaining JT Real Muto. I mean, he has been outstanding. And I know there have been times this season where he's a little bit underwhelming offensively. But when it's all said and done, the numbers are going to be right in the neighborhood of, of what you would want from him. And then you factor in the defense. And you have to acknowledge what a significant upgrade he's been. So I give him credit for that as well. I guess he showed a little bit of creativity in that deal, though he did trade the team's top pitching prospect to do it. I want to know, like, they talk about, like, value in the margins. That was, like, one of their their things back when when Kapler was first hired. Can they find that? Like, do they – does he have creativity in him to go out and make this team better? Like, going out and trading for JT Romuto, going out and signing Bryce Harper, these were, like, obvious moves. These were obvious – moves that were going to make this team better but can he do the things that maybe aren't so obvious like can he swing a trade can he get something back from michael franco can he find a way to unload jay bruce this offseason because i don't really think they need to pay jay bruce 13 million dollars do they want to sign Corey dickerson it, what he's done over the past couple of weeks does that translate into next season i know they and, and we could probably talk about this once we get through this conversation but is he going to be able to take this team to the next level? And that's what I wonder about because he hasn't shown me that that creativity that I think sometimes a GM needs to to take the team. To uh, the next and I step. agree with you 100%. Which Ben begs this question because well, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, he really didn't. I thought his trade deadline in 2018 was underwhelming. I thought his trade deadline in 2019 was pretty non-existent. I mean, I, I thought, I'll give him credit for Dickerson, but other than that, I, he didn't address the team's biggest issue it, at all. Considering he went dumpster diving this yeah. summer, I would say that the return has been pretty good. Like, if you're going to go trash picking, he's he's gotten some useful objects out of the garbage, but like, that, was that the right did thing they to do? have to do that? You know, you look at what Atlanta's done, they've solidified 
And, and they were a strong team to begin with. And I understand that they were much more likely to make the postseason, so they, they had all the reason in the world to be a little bit more aggressive. But what Atlanta did wasn't, like, go for broke. Right. It was just crafty moves that netted back better players than what the Phillies did. Yeah. And, and that's where I kind of go, are, are they behind the curve? Is he kind of playing catch-up here? Well, and, and the other thing is, is it, look, we <laughs> – you and I, not. It's funny because maybe we were wrong, but I mean, you and I all spring, both said, what, "Are you in or out on Dallas Keuchel? Or are you in and out on Craig Kimbrell?" And we were both out. Yeah, we were, I was. I was out. I, I was and, out, and, and so was I. And Keuchel was really kind of going through it, where I was ready to pat myself on the back. Yeah. The last couple times out, he's been he's been very good. He's been pretty good. Kimbrell's been decent for the for the. Cubs. And if I knew that the the because my thing was, hey, don't go get Dallas Keuchel. Wait till the trade deadline. There's going to be someone better. Right. You know. Well, if didn't. I knew that the alternative was going to be Drew Smiley, <laughs> I would have signed. I would have signed. I would have signed Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, I yeah. just thought there was going to be another shooter drop, and it never did. Okay, so we get. To, so this is all tying in together. This is very nicely. So the, I ask you this question now, Bob. It, it, do you want to give him another off season? Do you want to give him another another shot at fixing at finding the you know these really savvy moves? Uh, on the margins to make this team a contender? Do you want to see that? I mean, that, and I know it's a tough question to ask you because you're down there and you got to talk to the guy and you got to interview these guys. It's a little bit different, more difficult to ask you than for you to ask me this question. But I'm going to ask it anyway. It, do you want to give him another shot at it? I tend to, and I've been very, I think I've been about as critical of him as you you, you can be, yeah. honestly. That being said, I tend to, um, I'm a little bit more conservative when it comes to things like this. And I would probably give him the benefit of the doubt, even if, and I think you could make a pretty compelling argument that he hasn't earned it. I would probably just say, I see, I think I see where this is going. I will give him one more year. I, I probably would. If it were up to me, I would give him one more year. But I do understand any fan that's like, this guy's got to go, it, you know, that felt underwhelmed by the 2018 moves that they made at the deadline that has, that have felt underwhelmed by what he's done throughout the course of this summer. It just, there was no imagination. It was like, Hey, Andrew McCutcheon got hurt. A couple of these starters. And of all the things that Matt Clintac should be criticized for, we haven't even talked about it. It's just a complete miscalculation. It just of the starting rotation. Of the, of the yes. rotation. Uh, my God. I mean, like, to just come back after what you saw down the stretch last year and think that some combination of Nick Pavetta, Zach Eflin, Vince Velasquez with a declining Jake Arrieta and a Cy Young type of pitcher in Aaron Nola, obviously, to think that that was going to be enough is ridiculous. I have no issue taking a chance on a guy like Nick Pavetta or Zach Eflin or even hanging with Vince Velasquez as a number five starter if I have certainty of production in my other slots. Correct. But you cannot go into a season with four coin flips like that in your rotation. You just can't do it. And to, to talk all of this about how we've arrived, and I really think the Phillies, honestly, they sort of took a victory lap when they signed Bryce Harper. Patted that themselves on the, the back. That was the final yep. piece to what was going to be a playoff team. And, I mean, you look up in the standings, and they're 13 games behind the Braves right now. And, and six and a half behind Washington, who most people thought, myself included, of – you want to talk about bad takes and, and miscalculating. I thought Washington was was done. I, I looked at that bullpen. Yeah. I said, they stink. They don't have Harper. Their their swagger's gone. And they, the bullpen still stinks, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
You look up and they're 18 games over 500. Yeah, well, it's if you amazing. have a, if you have a decent starting rotation, this yeah, is, it's, the, it's you know, amazing. It's yes. amazing how that that makes. Maybe difference. they could have thrown that extra year at Patrick Corbin in hindsight. Yeah, right? exactly. With the Phillies, right? Yeah. So I guess the, I guess then, Bob, if that's the case, if you think that they, you know, he deserves one more off season, when you said that the leash is short, is it short for everybody? Yeah, is it short I, for everyone? Like I, because I mean, saying like I, you know, when you say if they come into the beginning of next season and you know by the end of May they're still kind of a mediocre, inconsistent team, what happens? Like, do you make the go wholesale at that point, or what do you do? Yeah, I think it's hard to blow up your entire organizational structure in the middle of a season. I, I get that, and if you're going to do that type of thing, you typically will do it in the winter. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that I don't think that this season has been the colossal failure that a lot of people are, are making it out to be. Like, I, it, they've been underwhelming. They're going to fall short of their original expectations. People should understandably or are understandably disappointed. But it, this has not been a an absolute train wreck, at least to this point. Now, we'll see what happens over the last four weeks. And maybe we'll get there. Maybe this thing's going to crap out and we go, oh, okay. You know, it's time to reevaluate where we stand here. But as it sits right now, I just don't think that this is a let's fire everyone, let's totally clear out, you know, clear house. I I just don't look at it that way. But I do understand the other perspective. I think there's enough talent here that this team should be better than it is. I I, I just do. I think that you know, yes, the injuries have hurt a little bit, but every team goes but, through injuries. So I just look at it and I think to myself, is it is it going to be tweaks? Now, if they just come back status quo. Everything. You know, we're gonna, from a philosophical standpoint, from a, the field personnel, from the coaching staff, if it's all the same, I think that's kind of an interesting play. Yeah. But I could see them making tweaks to the coaching staff, doing some things a little I, bit differently. I, I thought from the very beginning that their 40-man roster construction was was out of whack. Uh, it was way, way too heavy with younger players who were never going to be in the majors this year and way too heavy on pitching that they didn't have position player, they didn't have depth to bring in bench guys when they needed yeah, it. The bench, the there bench was, was a problem from the start. Yeah, I mean, so there were there were structural issues that have again, and this has nothing to do with the manager. This is organizational, and so to me, it's almost like, do, do I want to let these same people do this again? And I I don't know. I don't know. If the Phillies make the playoffs, it's a moot point, right? If they right. if they go get hot here, go you know. It, 19 and 9 or 18 and 10 down the stretch and get in. It's a moot point. I, I, I'm wrong and they're right. They, you know, and I'd say that. But if that, if not, I don't know. Like you were you were supposed to be better. This team was supposed to be better, and it's not. And I'm I'm not gonna sit here and make excuses for it. I'm just not. So what did we say in the beginning of the year? 87. That, that was number? my. I okay. said 87. You said 85. Yeah. So I, they, I actually they was, might, I was actually, be on target for, for what you predicted. And if, if they got there, if you would have asked me in the beginning of the season, because I looked at it, I said there's too many question marks with the rotation, yeah, and yeah. that has played out. Yeah. If you would have said to me, okay, well, they're going to hit your target, should should heads roll? I would have said no. So why right. would, why am I going to change that now? I, I, I understand, though. I, I do. I get it. But I, I just, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, <laughs> Maybe that's because I'm down there. You know, maybe it's because I'm looking these guys in the in the eye, and maybe that's changed my perspective. And I get it. I, maybe, I've been there. You're, maybe Bob Wankel two years ago, three years ago, was saying, fire them all. I, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Good point. Well, Bob, we had more that we wanted to talk about, but would you believe our hour is up already? It goes fast. It goes fast. We're going to have yeah. to do this on Thursday again. 
We're going to have to do a second one this week, I think, yeah, after the Red Series. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, so tune in. We'll uh, we'll uh, do another podcast later this week, and we'll talk more Phillies with you. Uh, you'll be able to get that on all of our uh, all of your podcast channels. That won't be here on 610. Uh, we're only here live on Mondays from 5 to 6. But uh, I want to thank uh, Ryan Lennox for producing yet another fine performance. We got the uh, e-gaming show coming up called Checkpoint. Make sure you stay tuned for that. E-gaming is the future. If you read Crossing Broad, you know that's the case. You read the comments section, at least. Uh, For Bob, I'm Anthony. We will see you again next week.